Hi there. You are listening to a message recorded by High Point Life. To listen to more messages and to find out more about our church, head over to our website at highpointlife.com. Good morning, church. Okay, feel en- en- some energy. Now I should get straight into the message today because I believe the Lord has really downloaded and input so much in me, which is why I think of all the messages, not like I preach every week or preach every month or anything, but of all the messages I think I've preached, this is probably one of the most difficult ones I've had to, I've had to do or handle. The reason why it's so difficult is firstly because I am so incredibly passionate about the church. You know, I can, I can honestly go on talking 36 hours in a week uh, about church. So I'm really passionate about not just the local church, but the kingdom of God and the bigger church. Um, number two, why it's so difficult, this topic, and I think Pastor Stephen, my dad, and Pastor Daniel as well, they've spoken on this topic in the, last, in the first two weeks of January. Why it's so difficult is because it is sometimes difficult for a pastor of their own church to share something that is very internal. Right? Because it's almost easier to like outsource. Uh, it's a difficult topic. Like, let's outsource it to an outside, outside speaker to come and share so that even if he can't the church or even if he shares something that is a bit, uh, you know, I don't need to explain how that feeling is. Right? At least it's an outside speaker. So that's what makes it difficult. The next thing that makes this topic difficult <laughs> is that the what will never be as important as the why. The what will never be as important. The why is always more important than the what. Even when it comes to style. You know, I'm so, I am the type of person, and you will hear this throughout my message today, I'm the type of person where even as a young child, I would ask why or why not so often about so many little, even the littlest things in the church. And finally, what makes this topic very difficult is because this topic provokes a dramatic and radical change in the church. As actually should all messages, all messages should actually provoke a dramatic and radical change. Correct? Amen? Yes. So it's sometimes easier to be convicted of things that are personal. Like, you know, when a speaker comes up here and he tells us about personal transformation or personal change that we need to go through, then for a speaker to come up here and to share about a cultural change that needs to go through in a church. And I, and, and I didn't make this meme. Somebody made this meme and I saw it in a pastor's group or church leaders group, ministry leaders group on Facebook. Now, if you look at this meme, it's quite funny, but it's very, it really hits close to home, right? It says, it talks about pastors or church leaders or ministry leaders, right? Some of you all trying to change a whole church culture, but you can't even get members to move a row forward, right? Here we are trying to make the church to like be evangelistic. Let's go and share the good news. Let's go and change our culture. We must be this, we must be that. We have 10 cultural responsibilities, but we can't even, we can't even force somebody to move one row forward. That's make, that makes change very difficult. Because sometimes, again, I will say, personal change is easier to come by than cultural change. And realignment is not always smooth. It does take some uncomfortable readjustments and transitions. I use this illustration. We are all, as a church, we all talk about the why a lot. The why is our destination. But we rarely talk about the how, the what, and the who we are. And every church will have a why that is similar to ours. Sorry. Almost every local church will have a similar why to ours. Love God, love the church, make disciples, love people. 
right? Most churches will have those elements in it. So we all have a similar why. But what makes local churches different and what should make all of us unique is the how we get there, what we are, and who we are. The what, who, and how is our mission and culture, our style, how we get there. All churches aim is to get people to the same destination. But different churches are different vehicles, and the things we do in those cars are also different. So let me say this, we are not in the business of competing with other vehicles, but we as High Point Life, we certainly have a specific car that we want, a specific route that we want to go, and unique activities that happen in the car. So today's what, we are mainly talking about our mission statement. So let's have a look at our mission statement as a church. Our mission statement says this, to train, equip, and strategically position men and women to engage communities and influence nations through the demonstration of the power of the gospel so that God's kingdom be experienced here on earth. I'll repeat that again. To train, equip, and strategically position men and women to engage communities and influence nations through the demonstration of the power of the gospel so that God's kingdom be experienced here on earth. So I don't want to just look at things that are internal. I might give examples here and there, but the main five points I'm going to share today are things that are universal. So what I did in preparation for today's message was actually I spoke to at least 10 people from different churches, different backgrounds, different denominations, and I asked them very specifically, I just took a quick survey questionnaire, what are five things would you say um, should be most important to a church? Or what are five things that a church should take seriously? Okay? And I went back and I looked at what, you know, what God was pressing into my heart. And God led me to Ephesians 4, which is what we are going to look at today. But the first thing a church should take seriously, and when I say take seriously, it means we guard it, we treasure it, we develop it, we, 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 we take care of it and let it grow. Right? The first thing is this, the spirit of unity. The first thing we should guard, treasure, develop, make better, advance, is our spirit of unity. Ephesians 4, verse 1, verse 1 onwards says this, as a pris- Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, when you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So with each of these five things, I'm going to share with you a myth in, our, in, in the church, not just in our church, but a myth that we need to bust. The first myth about unity is this. Unity means everyone must be happy with all decisions. That's not what unity is. Now, love is important in the church. I've shared on this before, 1 Corinthians 13, right? Famous chapter on love. I've shared on John 13, 35. By this, all men shall know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's what Jesus told his disciples. If you love one another, other people will know that you are my disciples. Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10 says, Do not... Do not be weary of doing good, for at a due time you shall reap 
But in the meantime, verse 10 goes on to say, do good to all people, especially to the family of believers. But let me say this, arguably one of the, one of the ways to keep everyone happy or majority of the people happy and quiet is to keep things the way they are. If we keep everything the way they are, majority of people will just not say anything, right? The moment something is changed, the moment a boat is rocked, people will not be happy. That, that, that's just how life works, whether in an organization, a company, um, you know, anybody, right? The moment something is changed, there will be people not happy. But the danger is that churches that don't rock the boat, churches that don't make changes, eventually embrace mediocrity. Now let me ask, any, how many boomers here? So I won't ask age. How many boomers here? Okay, okay. Auntie Usha and Uncle Buddy, very good examples. When you all were younger, how did you all buy flight tickets? Airplane tickets? Go to agency, travel agency, and then they have to give you a, a physical ticket, right? They have to... They almost have to, call, they have to call the airlines and they have to get it done, right? Today, if you want to get flight tickets, how do you do it? Online. Okay, I don't ask the young people. I'm asking the boomers, right? <laughs> they have to go online to do it. Now, I, I want to ask, um, what's the next one? Gen X. Okay, if you think you're Gen X, put up your hand. Pastor Daniel, how did you, in maybe your teenagehood or your 20s, actually you're still in your 20s, so it's fine. <laughs> how did you, in your teenagehood, buy... Movie tickets. Yeah. You have to go to the T Tanjong Golden Village. Not even TGV huh? at that time. Tanjong Golden Village. And then? Line up, queue, and have to wait for them to process the ticket for you. Lah. Today, how do you buy tickets? In your app. Now, even the, even the millennials and the Gen Z, huh? I don't need to ask, lah, okay? but I, I know because I'm a millennial myself. When we were young, when we want to go to McDonald's, we go to the cashier and we order the food, the cashier type in the food and we get the receipt and we'll pick up the food straight away there and then. Today, most McDonald's don't even have a cashier. Most McDonald's don't even, at most, most McDonald's don't even have two cashiers. Right? Everything is self-tap into that self-check-in cashier thing, right? Then you pay everything by card. Now, why I'm just illustrating this? Because no matter what age you are, boomer, la, Gen X, la, millennial, Gen Z, we all have to go through changes in life. And that is the same with church as well, right? So we cannot let changes in church derail us from our vision and mission. The changes are meant to advance the kingdom. The changes are there to advance the local church, right? So let's not complain about the changes as much. But here's the thing. Because the church is not a democracy that God has appointed leaders because democracy, next slide, democracy was not God's design, was not God's design for his body, right? Democracy was never God's design for his church, but changes are inevitable. Here's what I want us to do, church, with the spirit of unity. We need to have conversations with our leaders, conversations and not confrontations with our leaders. Ask them the why. Why did we make a decision like that? You know, now I'm only in recent years have I been in the council, but even before that, when the leaders make a decision, I would truly ask my dad, why this, why that? Okay, why, why does this decision have to be made? What's the rationale behind this? And I was always asking why. But I was not asking in a confrontational way, or at least most times. I was asking because I really wanted to know and I could understand their point of view. Because 
I believe that they should be able to see better than us, right? If God appointed them and we pray for them, that's what they should be able to share with us. Ask why and ask how. And ask how you can help. Be willing to listen, understand, and trust them. Okay? And the simple three words, bless them, encourage them, pray for them. Now on this side of the leadership, I will always say that I'm very thankful for those, and I share this again and again, I'm very thankful for those who have blessed me, encouraged me, my wife, my family, the church leaders, uh, encouraged us, prayed for us, and we, when we get text messages, when we, when we uh, speak to people, we are very, very blessed and we are very encouraged and it really sometimes um, helps us to spur us on, even in our faith journey. Right? Unity is so important in the church because imagine the car, the illustration of the car. If somebody is in your car and is constantly saying, I want to be in a bus, I don't want to be in the car, I want to be in a train, I don't want to be in the car, I want to get a destination in another vehicle, it will not help the drivers. Right? It will drive the drivers up the wall. Okay? But more than that, what is most dangerous is when somebody puts their leg, one leg out of the car. Right or not? Can you imagine if you're driving and suddenly my passenger puts one leg out of the car and says, I, actually, I don't know if I really want to be here and I, and I don't know if you know, I should be in another place. Now, let me share this. We all, our first cultural responsibility as High Point Life is we champion the, king, we champion the kingdom of God. That means we are, I'm not competing with another church. If God, I remember, I think Pastor Daniel shared this, uh, was it two weeks ago or at Countdown Service? And he shared, are we just in High Point Life because we are loyal to somebody or something? Right? I think that's what you shared. Are we in High Point Life for the wrong reasons? And I think that really hit home, struck me again. And I want to share this. If God is really calling you to someplace else, live in a way where you can bless the church and the church can bless you to go. Right? Because I'm not, I don't want to compete with another church. I champion the kingdom of God. I believe that other churches are doing the work of God as well. But the worst thing you can do by putting one leg in and one leg out of a car is you put the drivers and the other passengers in, de in detriment, in danger, and you put yourself in danger if you just jump out of a car. Let the church bless you, and you bless the church as well. Spirit of unity. The second thing the church should take seriously is our stewardship. Ephesians 4, 7 and 8 says this, But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on heaven, he took many captives and gave gifts, gave gifts to his people. Here's the next myth about stewardship. As long as I give my part, God doesn't care about the rest. As long as I give my part, God doesn't care about the rest. You see, God cares about everything you have because that's what He gave you. Right? It's not that we are just giving Him a little bit of what we have. He actually owns everything. I think this has been shared many times. And I think one of the things that as I was growing up in church, one of the things that I kept asking was, why don't we have a credit card as part of giving? Right? And the conservative background that I came from, right, they, the answers that I used to get was that, oh, we don't, give, we don't have a, a thing for giving 
uh, via credit card was because we don't want to teach the church that you give out of something you don't have yet. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? That was, that was the teaching that we got. And that really got me struggling as a young person because if we are teaching the church that we shouldn't be giving out of what we don't have, then we shouldn't be teaching that we should be discouraging the church from credit cards altogether. Because everything actually belongs to God, not just what we put in the offering bag. Then we shouldn't be teaching the church about getting a car loan or a house loan because that is out of something we don't have. But real stewardship, real stewardship is understanding to live within the means God has given you so that it is effective for your growth and the growth of His kingdom. The word stewardship, by definition, tells us that we are just managers. We are just trustees, temporary recipients of the gift given to us. So, we will definitely be answerable of how, for how we used all these things. Not just how efficient we are, but how effective we use what was given. Right? That goes for our time. That goes for our possessions. And yet goes for our skills and talents. Right? How, how punctual are we to things? You know, how are we using our time that we can be so late for something? You know, if we are constantly tardy, it's really convicting, right? How, how we use our Sunday service. God wants to work in 168 hours of the week. What we do here is only one and a half hours. You think God cannot use one and a half hours? Of course God can use one and a half hours, right? And when it comes to stewardship, the one thing I've learned is that God can use creativity and God can also use structure. The amount of detail that goes into how Noah should build his ark was incredible. The amount of structure, the amount of details that went into it. And I think that's how we should look at our church as well, right? Structure is important as well as creativity. We cannot say we want structure for the budget. For the budget, we must stick as strictly as possible. But for the time in, on a Sunday service, no, la, we can spend uh, two and a half hours, three hours. If that's the case, I can go on. Actually, I can go on for four hours, but it's okay. I'll try to finish on time. We have to steward our time. We have to steward our possessions. Our church, when you see rubbish on the floor or when you see some, you know, something that can be done properly, Let's steward our church right. Our skills, our talents. How we use our experience at work. So important. How we use our experience from work into the church is so great. Look at Luke. Luke was a doctor. If you read the book of Luke, right, the gospel of Luke versus the other gospels, the book of Luke has such a different, interesting perspective. Now, that's a challenge for the whole of February, right? If you read the book of Luke, look at it from the perspective of a doctor. Right? And you'll see something you'll see something so differently. He gives us a different perspective. So some of you, you're working as engineers, you're working as, uh, uh, you know, in the medical line, you're working in different areas, teachers. Come to the church, contribute to the church using your experiences and using, giving a different perspective in the church. Stewardship is important because accountability is important, but also generosity is important. Right? Generosity is important. When we steward something well, we grow in confidence of our calling, not just individually, but as a church. Let me say that again. When we steward something well, we grow in confidence of our calling. The next thing that the church should take seriously is serving. Ephesians 4, 11 to 13 says this, So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip His people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
So here's the myth about service. I need a rest from serving regularly every week. You see, just because we are serving up here for five or six weeks or seven weeks doesn't mean suddenly we need a break and serve there. Or we need to say, oh, okay, uh, I've been up on stage already lah, for four weeks. I think I better learn how to worship from there. Well, if you didn't know how to learn from worship from here, you won't know how to le learn to worship from there. Because we should worship the same here as we do there. Think about those that have to serve every week. A Sunday school teacher. The youth leaders, John and Deborah, has also been teaching the youth almost every week when the youth is there. They cannot say, okay, I'll take a one-month break or I'll take this quarter off. Think about Farah and Tim and Darren in KK. Out of 52 weeks of the year, our worship team in KK, I think three of them will have to lead and be in the worship team for at least 45 weeks out of the 52 weeks of the year. 50 weeks out of 52 weeks of the year. You see, Leonard Ravenhill says this, Christianity today is so subnormal. That means not un it's under normal, right? Sub is under, right? Christianity today is so subnormal that if any Christian began to act like a normal New Testament Christian, he would be considered abnormal. Right? The early church, when we talk about the apostolic, church, apostolic model, the early church, they were serving every day. We've heard that before. God added daily to their numbers. That means people were serving, people were in the in the. In, in, the, in the confines of a church serving so that other people can be ministered and other people can be drawn to Jesus. That is the apostolic model. That the real rest is not when we are down there. The real rest is actually when we serve because we are serving a God whose yoke is light and his burden is easy, right? So, followers of Jesus, don't just be available, be committed. You know, sometimes we elevate being available. Thanks for availing yourself, right? But don't just avail yourself, church. Let me challenge you to commit yourselves to the advancement of God's kingdom. True High Point Life, if you call this your home, what does it mean to really rest? What does it mean to really rest? You see, two of our cultural responsibilities is this. I just want to highlight this, right? Number two, if you go and read our cultural, responsi our cultural responsibilities. Number two says, being a part of this this is my calling, not a chore. Number five says this, serving is a privilege and an honor. Now, let me ask, who's a Swifty here? There, 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 Swifties are all here. Okay, Swifty means you're a Taylor Swift fan, right? You're a big Taylor Swift fan, a major Taylor Swift fan. So let me ask the Swifties, the two Swifties sitting here. If Taylor Swift were to tell you, can you come on my Eras tour? and just help out as an usher, will you do it? Of course! Will you tell her after one month, actually for uh, this trip in Malaysia and Singapore, since they are my place, I, I'd want to go, like, I'll take a break. No, you'll be so excited to serve as an usher. Why aren't we just as excited? Pastor Daniel shared today about enthusiasm to the, in the green room today. right? Why, are, why aren't we as excited to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Why suddenly we need to take a break? Now, let me put this disclaimer. Taking a break is good. Having rest is good. There's such thing as a sabbatical. There's such thing as Sabbath. But what that means is that we need to be accountable to some person. We need to be discipled. We need to be mentored. Somebody needs to be looking after us. If you're tired, own it. Say you're tired. Say you don't have the capacity at this time. I've been there. I worked in a place where I just could not serve anymore. 
And I had to tell my leaders, I had to tell the, peop- the, the ministry leaders that were above me and says, actually, I'm so sorry. I have to take a break this quarter because I've been tired. I have to take a break this week because my work has just caught up with me. But can you please pray for me? Can you please keep me accountable? And to be fair, those ministry leaders, some of you who know Joanna at that time, really journeyed with me. And not, not to say she like, took me out every week or anything like that, but she really made sure that she asked me, how are you doing? How is work going? You know, is, are things getting better? And so I knew that there was somebody always looking out for me. Some of us, we take a break without ever giving a reason. And that's where the danger starts. If we fall into a trap, right? So are we serving by our own strength? Maybe we are not having a vibrant spiritual life. Maybe we realize we are, not having an in, we, are ha- we are not having an authentic life. Maybe what we serve up here and what we are down there is different. Right? So then it becomes inauthentic. Share that with your leaders. Share your struggles with your leaders. Maybe we are not having enough input or inspiration. And we need that. Jesus had that from his earthly parents. Right? Jesus had that from his earthly parents. The disciples had that from Jesus. Timothy had that from Paul. Silas had that from Barnabas. That's why it's so important. Draw from God's strength. Draw from God's well. Be disciple. Be mentored by someone. Receive practical input and inspiration. You know, I've been so privileged in that sense, so thankful, so humbly grateful that God has given me so many experiences with different churches, different organizations. Of course, my experience with SU, sometimes I get so much of feedback, sometimes it seems so brutally honest, right? But I intentionally want to be trained about how to speak, how to handle God's Word in messages, in sermons. Some of us have gone for seminars, camps, workshops. I want to encourage you, go and look out for these things, for what you're passionate about. If you're passionate about children's ministry, kids' ministry, youth ministry, hospitality, prayer ministry, go. Don't just, don't just be, be, be fed but also learn how to be equipped and trained to do something differently. Some of us, Marina, my dad and I, we went for a Hillsong conference a couple of years, right? Um, worship church, right? Go and, go and uh, you know, if you're passionate about worship and music ministry, go and look for these workshops. I've been privileged to be able to have an internship with an INC church in Metro Church. If you feel that there's an internship in a church or a Christian organization that would truly help you, please come and see the leaders. And if you can't commit to such a big thing also, let me share with you how I've learned to get input today. Reading books, watching tutorials on YouTube, how many, time, how many hours I, sp- I spend on YouTube, right? Sometimes not so productive, lah, right? But when it comes to ministry and church, I try to look out for tutorials on worship, on media, on youth ministry, on leadership, on communications in the church. I've listened to podcasts. I go to Scripture Union at least two, two times a week on the way there and on the way back. I listen to at least four podcasts back and forth as I try, right? On all different types of topics in the church that I'm passionate about. As I say, church services, how to run church services, leadership, hospitalities. The resources are endless today, right? The resources are endless today. I even, uh, let me tell you something funny. I even listened to a podcast this week (laughs) about how to arrange furniture in the church. That's That's how specific some resources can be, right? Furniture arrangement in the church. 45 minutes listening on that. How, what is most effective? But we all have different gifts and different talents and different things God has given us, different passions. Learn to hone your craft. Hone your craft. That, that serving heart that God has given you. Hone it and even steward it. The spirit of excellence doesn't just happen on a Sunday. 
right? If we are going to serve, serve with excellence because we know who we are serving and why we are serving. Number four, the fourth thing the church should take seriously, Ephesians 4, 14 to 16 says this, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. Now, I'm not going to read the next passage, but it's on the screen. But Paul tells Timothy that almost the same thing using the illustration of an infant becoming a man as well, right? How from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So all Scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, connect, correcting and training in righteousness so that we may be equipped. Again, the word equipped comes out. We may be equipped for every good work. Now the world is flip-flopping on truth, right? Some people say, right, that COVID was real. Some people say COVID was not. Some people say... Uh, if you're born male, you can become female. If you're born female, you can, can become male. They, they are confused about truth. But here is where the church should stand out. The church needs to stand out on truth. The authority we have comes from the Word of God. It will not just help us to know the truth, but demonstrate it. If you want to know who God is and experience Him, we have got to dig into God's Word. Did I mention that number four was Scripture? Yes, number four is scripture, yeah? Fourth thing the church should take seriously. So be like the Berean Christians. Now, I don't want to go into what the Berean Christians did. All I can say is that the Berean Christians tried to verify what the Apostle Paul taught them. Right? Imagine this, Apostle Paul, and here are the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. They were trying to verify that what Paul preached to them was true. I will dare say that I know Paul. So please go back and verify my message and come and chat with me. Right? When a speaker speaks, ask the questions, how much did I learn about God? How many times was Jesus mentioned in the message? Was what he or she says up here really what the Bible says? The myth is this, Scripture is primarily learned through Sunday sermons. Because it is not. We all have to dig into God's Word. We all have to dig into Scripture for ourselves and learn it for ourselves so that we can also keep our leaders and we can keep the speakers accountable. Right? Because this is the final authority. What was the main point of the message? That's what we should be asking. You want to make it more practical? How can I retell the sermon and share it with clarity? Sometimes that's what my wife and I do uh, on our own. Right? After a Sunday sermon, in the evening or whatever, after we've absorbed it, we'll ask, okay, what was, this morning's main, what was the main point of this morning's message? Even up to yesterday, we were asking some of our next gen about last week's message. What was the main point of last week's message? Or if you could retell last week's message in just three sentences, what would it be? Make it practical. So talk, discuss about your sermons. Ask how much Jesus or God was part of it. Study God's Word in your own private time. Review and apply Scripture in every ministry. Huh, let me talk about this very quickly. Now, if you're involved in next gen, kids, teaching, hospitality, even prayer, especially those on the platform, I want to encourage you. We should hold this responsibility in high regard. Especially those of us in the worship team, right? We are just as responsible of, for the lyrics that we sing as the speaker when he speaks, right? When I was a teen, our youth group was called Teen Scene. Ma and Rebecca all were the last batch of Teen Scene, right? We were part of the Teen Scene, that was our youth group. 
And in, when I was growing up, the teen, in the teen scene, the leaders actually banned the song. Okay, let me share with you the song. Huh? This was the song banned, and I'm sure some of you will be familiar with it. Take me deeper, deeper in love with you. Jesus, hold me close in your embrace. Okay, and then it goes on to say, take me deeper, deeper in love with you, deeper than I've ever been before. I just want to love you more and more. How I long to be deeper in love. Now, is this song wrong? The song is not wrong, right? Jesus is the lover of our soul. Jesus is our lover, yes. But you see, why the leaders banned that song to at least the teens was that this song casualized God's love for us. It made it so casual that there was a term in the church and, and we used to use the term, God is my boyfriend songs, Right? that you just take out the word Lord or you just take out the word Jesus, the, the perception of who God is can be misleading. We have a song that we sang this morning called Living Hope. And in the song, there is, uh, there, is a, there is a word in the original version that says a roaring lion, right? Out of the silence, the roaring lion. And I, I, I was confronted with this because when I went to preach at one of the Scripture Union places, at least three different occasions, three separate people who had no relation to each other had come non-Christians, non and I think one of them was a Christian, two non-Christians and one Christian, different occasions, different camps, different, came up to us and asked us, why, did, why, is this, why does this song refer to the roaring lion? Because they were trying to understand our faith and they were trying to dig into scriptures and they felt like the only place or the most famous place that they found the roaring lion, which is 1 Peter 5 verse 8, says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. So I, my scripture union team and I, and then later with some of them, uh, you know, in, even, even with my dad, I made us like go through all the verses in the Bible, right? We had a little study together. We went through all the verses in the Bible that refer to roaring lion as a complete phrase. And we could not find roaring lion that refers to Jesus as his resurrection, okay? In context of his resurrection, which is the song, Living Hope. So that's why the worship team has tweaked that word to powerful lion. Now again, it might not be wrong, wrong, okay? At worst, it's heretical, but I won't go as far as to say that. But it could be misleading, right? So there's no point confusing somebody with a lyric like that. Powerful Lion would give the same meaning, would give uh, the same essence as what the songwriter would want. The other songs that we talk about, The Father Turns His Face Away, and How Deep the Father's Love for Us, God of Calvary, you know, uh, The sky went dark, the angels wept, the Father looked away. So I've chatted with some of them in the worship team. Maybe we should tweak some of these as well, right? Because we have been taught that the Father did not forsake the Son. When Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, Jesus said, the actual translation that we have been taught was that Jesus said, God, why have you forgotten me? Macam, Abba, sudah cukup. It's enough. Please, take me home. I've suffered enough. That was the real meaning. Not, not that the father and the son were separated, or the father and the son, the fathers forsook the son, right? So some of these lyrics might need to be changed, not, not only because they might be heretical, but because they might be misleading. But why I'm sharing this is because I think as worship leaders, sometimes we just, we sometimes, and I'm guilty, and I've been guilty of this, I've sang these songs before, right? Sometimes we just take it as, okay, take it wholesale and barrel, is that the term? Lock, stock and barrel, sorry. Lock, stock and barrel. Right? We just take the whole song. But I think we hold a very, very, very high responsibility as those who have to steward this platform in how we lead the church. When we compromise on truth, we become a light that is hidden under a bowl. Finally, number five, 
The fifth thing the church should take seriously is salvation and sanctification. Paul says this, and I'm going a prequel. I'm going back one chapter in Ephesians 3, 7 to 11. He says this, I became a servant of the gospel by the grace, by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, the grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone. Again, he's going to make plain to everyone the administration, the execution of this mystery. The mystery was the gospel, right? In Ephesians chapter 3. Because the Gentiles didn't know about the gospel. It was never preached to them. So here was Paul trying to make plain the gospel to the Gentiles. Let's look at our mission statement. Next slide. To train and equip and strategically position men and women to engage communities and influence nations through the demonstration and the power of the, of the power of the gospel so that God's kingdom be experienced here on earth. Now, why this is important is because if we don't know the gospel and we have not truly grasped the gospel, we can never be in a position to engage communities, influence nations and demonstrate the power of the gospel. So we as a church, we need to understand the gospel. We need to be very focused in what we do. Next slide. Here's the myth. The myth is meeting felt needs is evangelism. And sometimes we as a church, we fall into this trap. Meeting felt needs is not evangelism. Meeting felt needs is the means for evangelism. Next slide. Now, here am I with the founder of Red Frogs and on the Right is me serving with Red Frogs in Australia at one point. Now, Red Frogs is an organization that is part of the INC movement. For those of you who are newer, you might not have heard of Red Frogs. But basically what they do in Australia, and I'll share this very briefly, they help college and university students when they, are, when they go for parties, when they are, and in the parties they are drunk, they are, they are completely knocked out, they are passed out, and we go and help them, bring them to a booth, and we talk to them, we share, we share life with them, we give them water to drink so that they, you know, the alcohol level goes down and slowly get to talk to them. But before every event I serve at Red Rocks, it seems like a charity or a social concern work, before every event I went for Red Rocks in Australia, every volunteer had to share their testimony in one minute. How they came to know Christ. It was very specific and to the point. And the reason for that is because when we dilute the message of salvation, we lose our saltiness. When our message of the gospel just becomes charity work or social concern, we lose the saltiness of the church. Matthew 5, Jesus talks about being salt and light. And he follows it up later on by saying that he did not just, I think the next, within the next couple of verses, of his, he calls us to be salt and light. He says he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. But today you will often hear the church talk about go and be the salt and go and be the light in the context of uh, just go and do good deeds. Just go and you know, do charity or social concern. Just go and feed the poor. That is wrong. The church will lose its saltiness. So let me encourage, in every ministry again, don't lose focus on this. That is our vision, driven by God's love to bring good news and discipling nations through the transformation, through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Right? So when we go for OA, or when we help the poor, when we do good deeds in our college and universities, in our workplaces, don't fall into the trap of thinking that is evangelism. Church is not a charity. In the church, 
we can also lose sight of the truth of the gospel. I have a colleague of mine in Scripture Union, and he came from a charismatic background, and even now he's gone to a mega church. And one of the things that really frustrates him about the church that he's a part of, and we have these honest conversations in my workplace, is that he feels like his church never mentions sin and judgment. So I say, how do you all do evangelism? He said, oh, very easy. The pastor will get up and he'll always say, whoever wants to be healed, whoever wants God to provide their financial needs, whoever, God, whoever needs protection this week, if you have any needs, uh, your children need uh, good grades in exam or whatever, please come to the front and, and bring your, give your life to Jesus. No sin is mentioned. No judgment is mentioned. No forgiveness is mentioned. So sometimes we can also fall into the trap of that, right? We can say, we so easily for us, oh, Jesus heals, Jesus protects, Jesus provides. But what the line we so is so difficult sometimes for us to cross is Jesus forgives. We are sinners. Let me say this. God meets our needs. Yes, God heals, God provides, God protects, which is good. But our ultimate need is for a Savior who saved us from sin and death and eternal punishment. So we need to know and be clear about the gospel we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. Constantly be refreshed and awed by the grace of God. Acts 1 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It doesn't start by, you will be my witnesses. The power does not come from us. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We always start the Great Commission with go therefore in all the world or therefore go into all the world. But the therefore tells us that there's something before that, right? And the verse starts off by saying, the Great Commission actually starts off by saying, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go. That means that power, that authority does not, is not from ourselves. It's from God. It's from the Holy Spirit. Church, I think it is time that when we talk about spirit of unity and stewardship and studying the scriptures and serving, it pales in comparison to what God has actually done for us. Have we truly grasped the gospel, the goodness of God's creation, the severity of sin and God's judgment, the weight of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, the significance of His resurrection, the abundance of His grace that reconciles us to new life in Jesus. If the gospel is not our true motivation as a church, we are responsible for putting people's ultimate destiny in jeopardy. The gospel must be our truest motivation for everything we do. Because without the gospel, what we do, that's the topic for today, without the gospel, what we do is pointless. In closing, I will say this. This is the last message and I just realized it in the last 24 hours or 48 hours. This is the last message in our theme of restoration this year. Next week with Vision Sunday, we will be launching our new theme. That's another nice thing that is happening next week. But even as we close this theme of restoration, let us get back to that apostolic model of how the spirit of unity look like, how stewardship look like, how serving look like, how they dug into the scripture and how the gospel flourished and thrived in that environment. 